Hello, welcome to VLMD Rounds, a podcast on medical science and tools to optimize your health. I'm Dr. Vivian Lowe. Let's see, before I forget, I have a couple of things I want to mention. Um, a quick shout out to Vivek. Vivek, thank you so much for listening in to all my episodes and for all your lovely comments. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed uh, all the previous ones and you haven't actually made any specific requests. So what I'd like to do is just kind of dedicate this episode to you, all right? Uh, you had once asked me for notes for my show. I am trying to figure out a way to do that. It's just that I'm the only one doing everything. I do my own reading. I do my own research. I kind of scribble notes to myself on the backs of envelopes, um, you know, to put things together. And then in between patients and everything else that I have to do, I just try to record an episode, right? And I, I have to teach a class soon. And so Driss is like, you got to get this episode done before class. So that's kind of my life and how I try to pack these things in. So getting the notes in would be another load for me. But this episode is different. You can see I'm in a different setup. And that's because I have slides. And so I don't have full notes, Vivek, but maybe today's episode will kind of make up for it a little bit, right? Those of you who are listening in, Yes, I did say I have slides, uh, but I will be talking through the slides and you won't actually need to look at the slides to, um, to understand today's episode. But I do encourage you, if you have some time and some curiosity, go to my YouTube channel, VLMD Rounds, and access this episode through the YouTube channel. Uh, so you can actually look at some of the visuals that I provide there, because I think it might be of interest to you. And one other thing, um, I was talking to my dad. Uh, I just called him to wish him Happy Chinese New Year. And we were talking about this podcast and he made a comment and he said, well, it's kind of technical, isn't it? And I was like, okay. Okay, so he's like, who, who's actually listening? Um, probably besides him. Uh, so, so I thought about that and I was like, I don't know, is it too technical? One thing I do hate is dumbing things down too much. I don't want to make it full of technical jargon, but I hate dumbing down things too much to the point where it becomes simplistic. And what I've noticed sometimes Times is that we have very simplistic approaches to different healthcare problems, right? And then it's like, oh, it's this one thing, and then people fixate on that. And we've lost the art of nuance, and we've lost the art of looking at the whole picture. So I, what I'm trying to do is just have us, again, look at some of these topics with a bigger view and to realize that there are so many components to our health uh, that it's it's really not possible to just pick one thing and say, this is it, and this is the solution, or this is the only problem, right? So please let me know if you find these episodes maybe a bit too technical or too long. 
the thing about the length too is I'm trying to cram everything in in the time that I have. It's a lot easier for me to make one episode and just put in, you know, the things I think we need to know. And then maybe um, you can access the different sections in that episode on your own at your own time. It's a lot easier for me to just put it in one recording than to make you know, multiple recordings just in terms of my schedule. But if you feel like you would benefit from shorter uh, episodes or like um, less technical, I guess, it's the way my dad phrased it. So uh, please give me your comments. You can send that th uh, through my website, vivianlohmd.com, V-Y-V-Y-A-N-E-L-O-H-M-D.com or on the YouTube um, channel as well. If you put comments in there, I am pretty good at checking those and getting back to people, okay? All right, so today's topic. I actually wasn't gonna talk about this. I had a whole different topic planned, but it's been on my mind for actually many years. And I thought, oh, you know what? Today, I think I'm just gonna talk about this. But I'm going to do it with the slides just because I hope it will make more of an impact. Again, if you're just listening in, you won't need the slides, but it just may give you more uh, impact when you see them. I have given interviews about this topic. I have done numerous presentations in person, Zoom, whatever, um, and I just find that I don't think we've been able to grasp the enormity of this problem, which is why I really uh, wanted to spend this episode addressing how that sick fat or visceral fat impacts your brain. Okay, so let's go. All right. So we do have, everyone knows this, uh, blood supply to our brain and those neurons and cells in the brain really need that blood supply, of course. Neurons in particular are very, very sensitive to oxygen deprivation. They have a high metabolic rate and they require glucose or ketone bodies for fuel, right? So you really have um, a population of cells there in your brain that are highly dependent on oxygen and adequate fuel to be able to function. And when you have decreased blood flow to the brain, then that's gonna be a big problem. Those brain cells, if they're not receiving enough blood, are going to die. And we see this in strokes or cerebrovascular accidents, CVAs. Those are due to generally compromised blood flow to the brain, resulting in the death of brain tissue, right? The most common type of stroke would be what we call the ischemic strokes. And these are the result of a blocked blood vessel that is supplying the brain. That's like 80% of all strokes, okay? So, you know, I have on the slide a picture, just a diagrammatic representation of some blood supplies, uh, a, a blood vessels in the brain, and there's a clot in one of them. And as a result, 
um, there's no blood flowing through those vessels and the area of the brain that is supplied by that vessel starts to die. Now, when you have obesity, your stroke risk is much increased, right? It's increased by 64%. And not only that, you tend to have uh, strokes at an earlier age, okay? So the risk of stroke is higher at a younger age, no good. Worse than that, when you have a stroke, uh, if they get you to the hospital in time, generally what they try to do with this type of stroke is to dissolve the blood clots. So they'll give you an intravenous injection of a medication that we call TPA, and hopefully it will dissolve the clot and allow blood to flow through those blocked vessels again, right? So we have reperfusion in those vessels. Well, if you have obesity, then it's not going to work as well. And only 57% of people with obesity had, um, you know, resolution of the clot when they were given the, the TPA, okay? So you have higher risk for stroke at a younger age and the treatment is less effective if you have obesity. So this is a recent article um, that just came up. You can see the date here, uh, January 2023 from Big Think. And you know, part of their headline is, why are millennials having so many strokes? And you know, this article is about millennials ranging in age from 27 to 42, suffering strokes at higher rates than their forebears did at the same age, right? And, um, you know, the, the big question is, wow, you know, we're getting strokes a lot younger. And really, 27 to 42 years in age, that's pretty devastating. Strokes at any age um, would be de uh, devastating, but at such a young age, really a bad thing to have. So here is an article um, from Frontiers in Neurology. This was April 2022. And the title is Visceral Adiposity and Risk of Stroke, a Mendelian Randomization Study. So those of you who watched the alcohol episode, I went on and talked about Mendelian randomization for these observational studies and how it's a useful tool to help us, you know, remove some confounding factors, right? So this was a study where they use Mendelian randomization. And if you want to know more about that tool, please go to the alcohol episode. But they noted, right, that VAT, which is visceral adipose tissue, had a significant causal association with ischemic stroke, right? So it really was the VAT that seemed to be causing the stroke and, you know, I just want to mention that in this study, uh, most of their subjects had a normal BMI, right? So again, we're used to thinking of obesity in terms of weight and sometimes with BMI. And I have gone on and on about how 
yeah, we're going to miss a lot of things there if that's the way we're just going to look at it, right? And this is um, kind of making my point because with a normal BMI, but increased VAT or visceral adipose tissue, there's increased stroke risk. And in particular, you know, they mentioned cardioembolic stroke, and there was also a potential causal effect for small vessel stroke and large artery atherosclerotic stroke, okay? So this wasn't just an issue of weight or BMI. It was the visceral adipose tissue or the sick fat that I talked about in the earlier episodes um, that seemed to be causing the stroke. And of course, when you have decreased blood flow to the brain, uh, as in the case of strokes, you will have problems with learning and memory. There can be brain swelling or edema and what we call white matter lesions. When we talk about the white matter in the brain, those are the areas that kind of connect the different areas of the brain, okay? So the cell bodies of neurons are found in the gray matter, right? That's where the neurons live. And then the white matter would be the connective tissue between the different areas of the brain. And with decreased blood flow, you have compromise of the white matter as well. And you have accumulation of toxic proteins that are associated with dementia. Now, that's in the stroke. But what if we just had decreased blood flow? You know, you don't have a a big massive stroke, right? Um, but just if we have less blood flow than usual. So here is a study um, that, uh, that came out in 2020, so fairly recent, and Xin Lei Ping and Chun Ming Chen, the influence of obesity on cerebral blood flow in young adults using arterial spin labeling MRI. I chose this study because it was in young adults, okay? Because anytime you talk about, you know, cognitive impairment or anything in the brain, uh, people will say, well, you know, that's normal as you age. Oh, you know, and older people, yeah, you kind of lose a little bit of your function. So I thought, well, okay, what about in young people, okay? So this study is looking at cerebral blood flow, right, in young adults, who have obesity. And how young? Well, is this young enough for you? 20 to 30 year olds. I would say that's pretty young, okay? 20 to 30 year olds in this study. And interestingly, their definition of obese here was a BMI of 26 or more. So we weren't really talking about BMIs of 40 or 45 or anything like that. Uh, BMI of 26 or more, and then their classification for normal was a BMI of 24 or less, right? And on the slide, you see in the top row, right, they're looking at perfusion in the brains of those with BMI 26 or more, and then the lean subjects, 20, BMI 24 or less, were below, and you can see there's a big difference, and there was decreased market decreased cerebral blood flow in the obese subjects. And again, that BMI really wasn't very high. I don't 
like looking at BMIs, right? But, you know, a lot of these studies, they are just using BMI. So we'll use that as a proxy. But as far as I can, I will be showing you studies that are related directly to the visceral fat. Okay. This one, unfortunately, also BMI, but uh, same year, 2020, uh, Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. And this was the Daniel Armand study. And I believe uh, there were two institutions that were in collaboration here, Johns Hopkins and also Thomas Jefferson Hospital, right? So this looked at patterns of regional cerebral blood flow as a function of obesity in adults. And basically what they found was that BMI and cerebral blood flow were inversely correlated. There was with increasing BMI, decreased blood flow, to the temporal lobes, the parietal lobes, the hippocampus, the posterior cingulate, the precuneus, basically globally, all over the brain. And I put on this slide a graph, and this is actually looking at perfusion in the temporal lobe of the brain. Uh, but actually, if you looked at all these other areas, parietal lobe, hippocampus, precuneus, et cetera, et cetera, it looked exactly the same. So rather than put you know, a million um, graphs that looked exactly the same and bore you to death, I just used this graph uh, from the temporal lobe because it is representative of what you see in the rest of the brain, okay? So on the y-axis, we have perfusion, and then we have the weight classification on the x-axis. And you'll note that as we move along the x-axis and you know the weight gets higher and higher, perfusion drops. And in fact, I just want you to note that somewhere in the overweight category, okay, again, going by BMI, not in the obese category. So when we say overweight, it's BMI of 25 to 29.9 you already see you know, much decreased blood flow compared to uh, someone who's you know, normal or underweight, okay? So you can see that we've had a big reduction in blood flow just by going from normal to overweight. You didn't have to go all the way into the obese category for us to see this effect. Now, this was not a small study it really looked at quite a number of people. In fact, they looked at 17,721 individuals and scanned their brains, right? And here we see on this slide a rendering of, you know, the perfusion of blood, right? In someone with a normal BMI here, this was a BMI of 23 in the left side of the slide. And then you have someone who's overweight BMI of 29 and then obese BMI of 37. And these were all uh, men of 40 years of age. And you could see that the higher the BMI, the less perfusion, the less blood flow again through the brain. And why is this happening? Well, neuroinflammation has 
and influence on blood flow. And if you have a lot of inflammation in the brain, then you are going to have decreased blood flow in the brain. Now, obesity is a condition of chronic inflammation. So if you have obesity, then you have chronic inflammation and the sick fat is making lots of inflammatory cytokines like interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha. And this is going to compromise the uh, blood flow. It causes endothelial dysfunction and we're going to have hypoperfusion of the brain, a drop in blood flow in the brain. And this is just to show you that uh, immune cells here, it says microglia play an active role in obesity-associated cognitive decline. This is just one article of many that basically drive home um, the fact that if you have inflammation in the brain, then you're going to compromise many things, among them the blood flow. And what's the result? Remember earlier I said, if you don't have enough blood going to a certain area of the brain, then those brain cells die. So what we see as a consequence of this decreased blood flow is decreased brain volume, shrunken brain syndrome in people with obesity. And I put up uh, a picture of uh, it's MRI of two different subjects, right? The one on the left has normal BMI and the one on the right has obesity. And you can tell from these scans that there is decreased brain volume in the person with obesity. If you look at the top picture, these are the lateral ventricles and see how huge they are as compared to the person on the left, right? And here in the bottom, uh, they're showing the third ventricle. And again, it's much larger with obesity than uh, without obesity, right? And that's because, again, the brain has shrunk. And so we have decreased gray matter volume. And um, this is basically telling you brain cells have died. Now, I put up this slide just for us to get a sense of where we are, because I constantly get the, oh, but so-and-so skinny, and so-and-so uh, doesn't have a weight problem, and so he, she, whatever, is healthy. Not necessarily. So if you look at um, the pictures here, uh, they give you a visual of different BMIs, right? Uh, and this is a picture of a woman with a BMI, let's say around 25. And if you looked at this person in real life, you would not call this person, um, you know, fat, you would not think this person had a weight issue, and you would consider this person very healthy. But you remember, that those subjects in the study I showed uh, of the 20 to 30 year olds, right? BMI of 25, that's uh, 26. That's close to what this person is. This is 25, right? So those people are walking around looking normal when they already have decreased blood flow to the brain. In a man, it would look like, like 
you know, this fella here, right? So again, now I have a lineup of men uh, with different weight classifications. If you look at the overweight category, because again, that first study looked at BMI of 26, they called that obesity. And you can see, you know, you might see someone with a BMI of 26 and think that the person was perfectly healthy and never suspect there's not enough blood flow going to the brain. This is a study from the Annals of Neurology and uh, Debet et al. It's called Visceral Fat is Associated with Lower Brain Volume in Healthy Middle-Aged Adults. Okay, and uh, across the board, they saw the same thing I've been trying to tell you, right? When you have more visceral fat, you have lower brain volume. I want to mention that in the study, the uh, mean BMI was 24. So we didn't even hit the um, overweight category, right? So it didn't matter that you were normal weight or normal BMI. If you had increased visceral fat, then you're going to have lower brain volume. Okay. This is again, independent of your weight or your BMI, right? 24. And again, we start to see decreased brain volume, decreased perfusion in the brain resulting in decreased brain volume. Here's another one. And this is a German study and it's called uh, reduced cortical thickness associated with visceral fat and BMI. And this is from uh, the journal NeuroImage. And here uh, they looked at both visceral fat and BMI in young people, like 30 year olds. Um, and again, the BMIs were not very high. I think it was like 25, okay? And across the board, uh, especially with visceral fat, they saw reduced cortical thickness, right? So shrunken brain again, when you had more visceral fat. So this slide, the next slide here is giving you some of um, their conclusions here. It says, we investigated cortical thickness in healthy adults, again, young people, 30-year-olds, uh, their BMI on average was about 25. Body mass index and visceral adipose tissue were used as predictors. BMI and VAT were independently associated with cortical thickness and cortical thinning was observed in the temporal cortex with increasing VAT. Our findings show close resemblance to gray matter volume differences in diabetic patients. Okay, so we already know with diabetes, some people call that type 2 diabetes, some people call that, um, you know, if they have uh, sort of signs of dementia or cognitive impairment, type 3 diabetes, sort of diabetes as expressed in the brain, right? And those people have decreased brain volumes. Well, here, don't forget, healthy young adults, BMIs around 25, they had close resemblance to gray matter volume differences in diabetic 
patients. So you don't need to have diabetes to have shrunken brain syndrome, right? You don't need to be overweight or obese to have shrunken brain syndrome. You just need to have poor body composition, increased sick fat, increased visceral fat, and you have decreased blood flow to the brain and then shrunken brain syndrome. All right, this next study is from uh, JAMA Network, the Neurology Edition, and it's by Rachel Zido et al., Z-S-I-D-O. It's called Association of Estradiol and Visceral Fat with Structural Brain Networks and Memory Performance in Adults. Okay, and essentially, again, no surprise, uh, they looked at men and women, okay, but they found that the results were more striking in women. And the more visceral fat that they had, then really the worse they did on uh, their cognitive performance and, you know, with the brain networks. I show this study because of this picture that they had or this um, image that they had in the study. And they show both male and female, and this is an MRI cut, right, across the abdominal area so that you can see the areas of visceral adipose tissue and subcutaneous adipose tissue. I went into the compartmentalization of fat in a, an earlier episode quite in detail. So if you can find that episode, um, you know, if you want to review or just if you haven't listened to it, uh, you can go back and listen to that. But here we have in the top half of the slide, that's a man. And you see age is 48, BMI is 26. Okay. Most of the fat here in this subject is subcutaneous. It's indicated by this purplish uh, region here, and it's right under the skin. That's why we call it subcutaneous. And then inside, you see the uh, pink areas, and this would be where the visceral deposits of fat are, okay? So the picture next to that, the image next to that is also a male, age 48, same age, same BMI. And that's why I included this study. I wanted you to see the same BMI of 26. And what a difference, right? There's a much higher accumulation of visceral fat as compared to the person on the left. Similarly, for the female below age 48, BMI 22. Again, you know, in the first subject, not a whole lot of visceral fat inside the abdominal cavity. And then you'll see Okay, this person's just one year older, age 49, but the BMI is also 22. And see the vast accumulation of visceral fat or VAT, right? I'm just trying to drive home the point here that you can have a normal BMI, in this case, a BMI of 22, normal weight, right? And, you know, if you eyeball it, the waist circumference between uh, these two subjects would be about the same, okay? It's only when you assess for the compartmentalization of fat that you realize, ooh, metabolically, they are very 
different, okay? Because the person on the right has a lot more of that sick fat, and that is going to compromise the brain. And we know that, you know, young people, we've known this for a long time. We've looked at people who are in their 20s with PCOS and insulin resistance and have noted that they show signs of brain metabolic dysfunction, you know, 10 to 20 years before the start of symptoms, right? So here is the study and it is called uh, Structural Imaging of the Brain Reveals Decreased Total Brain and Total Gray Matter Volumes in Obese, but not in Lean Women with Polycystic Ovary Syndrome compared to BMI-matched counterparts. Okay, this was published in Gynecological Endocrinology in 2017. Okay, and the whole point here is Yes, we have people with PCOS, but it was only those with obesity, right, that had decreased total brain and total gray matter volumes. And the people who were lean didn't have that issue. Okay, so this next slide here is from JAMA Neurology. It was July 19, 2021, Hendricks at all, and it's entitled Global Prevalence of Young Onset Dementia. Okay, and basically it's, oh my goodness, we have young onset dementia happening. What's going on in the world? Well, lots of people are not getting enough blood flow to the brain. And as a result, brain cells are dying. And then we're surprised that we have increased young onset dementia, right? And this is my whole point. This is a huge problem. Everywhere you go, uh, lots of brain cells are dying because there's not enough blood flow to the brain. And we also have noted increased mental health issues in our population, right? This is one on the association between body fat and depression via, again, Mendelian randomization, useful tool to rule out confounding factors, right? And they find that that body fat is really uh, impacting depression. Here's another one on anxiety. It's just a diagram showing all the different ways in which, um, you know, uh, the sick fat impacts the brain and causes inflammation and it could therefore lead to things like depression and anxiety. I'm probably going to do a whole episode on that and I will be doing future episodes on neurodegenerative diseases. But here I'm just mainly focusing on blood flow right, to the brain and decrease brain volumes. So now I'm showing a slide. Uh, it's from the Journal of American College of Cardiology, July 2022. And it's entitled Trends and Disparities in Cardiometabolic Health Among U.S. Adults 1999 to 2018. And this next slide is a very busy slide. But basically, here are the results of that study. In 
2017 to 2018, only 6.8% of US adults had optimal cardiometabolic health. Okay, so only 6.8% of US adults are metabolically healthy. And, you know, they basically assess cardiometabolic health based on adiposity or fat levels, glucose and blood lipids and blood pressure and history of cardiovascular disease, right? So when you factor those in, only 6.8% of the adults in the U.S. did not have at least one of those things, okay? That should hit you right between the eyes. And remember, in one of my earlier episodes, I talked about the difference between BMI and percent body fat. Remember, the 2018 numbers for prevalence of obesity in the U.S. was 42%, right? And that was by BMI. And I said in that episode that if we were to go by percent body fat, which is way more accurate, okay? If we were to go by percent body fat, then the prevalence of obesity in the U.S. would be closer to 90%. 90% of people in the U.S. have obesity regardless of weight or BMI. So if you walk into a room and there are 10 people there, nine people in there will have obesity based on percent body fat. So for a man, that would be a percent body fat of 25% or more. And for a woman, a percent body fat of 35% or more. Okay. Uh, so, and, th and that's by DEXA. Okay, please, none of this bioimpedance thing that woefully underestimates the amount of fat in someone. I've been doing this for a long time and I tried to assess my patients with bioimpedance and I realized, oh my God, you know, uh, I am missing pretty much everyone's obesity if we go by bioimpedance. And the other thing is bioimpedance uh, body composition will not compartmentalize the fat for you. So you got fat, but where is it coming from? Is it sick fat? Is it subcutaneous fat? Right? You can't tell if you use bioimpedance. Okay. So highly inaccurate. I really, again, someone comes to me and I got my percent body fat done and it's bioimpedance and they're 15% body fat. Yeah. If it's a guy, you probably want to add 15 points to that. Okay, so, you know, the so I just, I, I don't go by those results. Okay, so here we are, if we go by DEXA, and we look at percent body fat, 90% of US adults have obesity. And here it says, only 7% are metabolically healthy. So about 93% of US adults have metabolic dysfunction. Gee, you know, that kind of makes sense since 90% by percent body fat uh, have obesity. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. So what does this mean? It means that 90% of the population is walking around with decreased blood flow to the brain. And this is just based on 
the amount of visceral fat they have, right? If you pile on something like sleep apnea, right, then you're going to have even less blood flow to the brain. Okay, but I'm just disregarding that for now. Let's just go with the, uh, you know, increased body fat, especially the sick fat. And 90% of people are walking around with not enough blood flow to the brain. And as a result, they have shrunken brain syndrome. And they might not be diabetic. They might think of themselves as healthy. Right? I see this a lot in patients, their sons or daughters. Oh, but they're skinny. Uh, they don't have a problem. They can eat all the junk they want. Really? Have you looked in the brain? Right? And you have to consider with the increase in mental health uh, problems across the population that this probably has something to do with it because now people are going to have difficulty learning. They can't adapt to new situations. They are unable to follow a regimen because they have increased impulsivity, decreased restraint, inability to manage stress, decreased resilience, poor executive function. Right? Uh, so that's what most of our patients are struggling with. And I tell my patients, I don't care, you know, it's not an indication of how intelligent you are, right? I don't care. You could have uh, the highest IQ. You could be Einstein. But if your brain is not getting enough oxygen and nutrients, then those brain cells are going to die. I have in my population of patients really accomplished, you know, very intelligent people. But you put them in a room where you suck the oxygen out of the room and you're going to start to see problems. Okay. So essentially, when I see my patients, I think of how their brains are struggling. Okay. They are struggling. Okay. They are able maybe to continue with the responsibilities at work and then they have to take care of their families and they have other responsibilities right and at home for example and then anything else above that is going to be overload for the brain so you expect that patient to have restraint around junk food right? And you're wondering why they can't stick to a regimen and why, why don't they go to the gym more consistently, right? And why are they doing fine on their diets for a week or two and then they seem to crash? Well, that brain is struggling, okay? It doesn't have enough blood flow. It doesn't have enough oxygen. And in all likelihood, your patient has shrunken brain syndrome. And I don't care what their weight might be. I don't care what the BMI is. Okay. Because if they have increased visceral fat, yeah, that's a shrunken brain. Okay. And I can't seem to get people to grasp the enormity of this problem. We know that, you know, lifestyle choices are very important uh, in the sense that they impact 
our health greatly. And so we try to have lifestyle or behavior change occur in our patients. And yet it's so hard to do. Well, it's really hard to do when your brain isn't getting enough oxygen. Okay. I tell my patients, basically, it's like you're having one long, continuous stroke. Okay. Because in a stroke, you don't get enough oxygen to the brain, right? You saw that. I showed that picture earlier on in the slide. Well, you know, Generally, if you have a lot of sick fat and you're not getting enough perfusion to the brain, you're having one long, continuous stroke all day, at night, at work, right? On vacation, right? Your brain is not getting enough oxygen. And if you have kids who are skinny and they can eat whatever they want, well, they have a struggling brain and that brain is shrinking. And if this starts young in childhood, then, well, you know, it's just going to keep shrinking throughout the lifespan. It's not a good thing, as you can tell, right? So it's essentially similar to someone with a traumatic brain injury. Again, that's what I tell my patients. If you have traumatic brain injury, then we don't expect you to be able to handle the same things the same way as someone who didn't have a traumatic brain injury or concussion, right? So people with TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, we put them in low stim environments, right? They're told not to read. We want to minimize mental activity right? Because we're trying to let the brain heal, okay? And, you know, you want to make sure that uh, you put them in an environment that is conducive to some brain healing. And furthermore, we know that with TBIs, traumatic brain um, uh, injuries, right? There's inflammation in the brain, okay? And after recovery, they're still more prone to future inflammation, future TBI events, right? So people with a lot of sick fat, right? Your brain is suffering and the brain cells are dying and you know, you're at higher risk for strokes and other neurodegenerative diseases, okay? So then the big question is, okay, um, can you grow more brain cells, Dr. Lowe? Because I get asked this a lot by my patients. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. That's generally a summary of the debate in the neuroscience community. Absolutely not. Absolutely yes. And so they're going at it, okay? And, you know, there's a group that says, yes, we see, you know, there's a population of what we think are stem cells in the hippocampus. And the other group is saying, nah, it's the way you do your fixation. And, you know, and the other thing is that these cells were there, you know, prior to adulthood. And this is no new brain cells going. And so they're going on and on. Okay. So here's what I want you to take away from that. The fact that they're having that argument it's not like brain cells are sprouting and blooming like the cherry blossoms in spring, okay? So even if there were some neurogenesis uh, genesis going on, yeah, 
it's not like it's so obvious that there's no debate. Okay, so clearly, whatever neurogenesis is going on at this point, it's not impressive. Okay, so your best bet is to try to preserve as many brain cells as possible. Then there's neuroplasticity. Okay, so there's the hope because Driss always says you got to give people hope, Dr. Lowe. Okay, so the hope is neuroplasticity which is the fact that your brain is really good at rewiring, okay? So if you lose a certain part of the brain, then another part of the brain can take over its function. And, you know, you can continue to function well because another part of the brain has taken over and that's called neuroplasticity. You just rewire, okay? However, we are not going to rewire in any meaningful way in the setting of continued inflammation. Remember, it was the neuroinflammation that's causing the decreased perfusion in the brain. And as a result, brain cells don't get enough oxygen and nutrients and they die, right? So that's the sequence. So if we keep having the inflammation yeah, you're not having any healing in the brain. No, you're not going to get much neuroplasticity, right? Because they're still under stress, all your brain cells, okay? I, I, I bring this to your attention, and this is for, you know, the general public, but also for providers, right? Because most of our patients are struggling with, at very least, mild cognitive impairment, okay? Why? Because I'm telling you, 90% of them, I've done this for a long time, 90% of them have decreased blood flow to the brain. And there's been some shrinkage of the brain already. Okay. And, you know, maybe they can compensate in some way, but over time, they're going to be less and less able to do this. And those deficits are going to become more and more prominent. And we're already seeing an increase in young onset dementia and mental health issues. Okay. And maybe we're not taking that in because, well, there's not enough blood flow, you know, to the brain. Right. So, you know, I think when we talk about obesity and we're focusing on weight and we're focusing on BMI, I've had this. You know, I've been going on about this for, for years, over a decade. I just can't seem to get people to move away from the weight and BMI issue and to look at the body composition. Because if you are taking care of someone um, and you are addressing metabolic health, you can't do that meaningfully without looking at the body composition. Okay? You need to know where that sick fat is. So you can benchmark, right? And you have to get it below a certain level. And, and you know, it, time is ticking because brain cells are dying. And the longer we wait, the harder it is for your patient to follow regimens, to stick to behavior change, right? To do any kind of change because they're functioning in an environment where they're not getting enough oxygen. Okay, I think it's time for our wrap up. And it's pretty simple, right? We talked about how decreased blood flow to the brain is going to cause cell death in the brain uh, because you're not getting enough oxygen or nutrients. And then when the brain cells die, 
the brain shrinks. Okay, and we see that it's associated with the sick fat, the visceral fat, regardless of weight, regardless of BMI. Okay, and if you don't address that sick fat, then you're not going to address the compromise to the brain. And we now have young onset dementia, right? We now have increased strokes in young people. We have an increase in mental health issues. And no one is recognizing that, well, everybody's brain is shrinking at the same time. Maybe we should stop the brains from shrinking. Okay, maybe, right? So uh, the other takeaway from this is that you really should get a good body composition to evaluate your health. Uh, if you are taking care of patients, it is not difficult to get a DEXA because your institution probably has a DEXA machine because they're doing bone mineral density already on patients. So they just don't know how to use the body comp part. And that's why, and, and also it's not compensated for by insurance. That's why it's not being used, all right? But it's very, very useful. We talk about biomarkers and new biomarker in the blood, a specific new blood test, you know? And everybody gets excited over that. And we have this very old test that's just sitting around that no one is using. So I'm just going to urge people to really, if you're interested in your health, get a DEXA body composition, none of the bioimpedance, please. We need to compartmentalize the fat and get accurate measures of the fat, right? And again, you know, people still are, I have good friends, physician friends, who who still stick by the weight and BMI for themselves. And I know sometimes it's just hard to think about your metabolic health and to think that you might have a problem with increased percent body fat, but just understand brain cells are dying. Okay. So, you know, that's a bigger urgency and we really need to know what your visceral fat is. We have to find ways to reverse, you know, the damage, increase blood flow as much as we can allow the brain to heal and, you know, allow it to rewire. Okay. So that was my episode um, for today. And like I said, I decided to do it differently this time around with the slides because I wanted you to see those brains. I just, you know, because people talk about neurodegenerative diseases and, you know, it's very abstract. Mitochondrial dysfunction in the brain. Oh, that sounds bad. But what does it look like? Shrunken brain. Okay, that's very concrete. The brain has shrunk. Okay, everybody can understand that. And so I wanted to show those images because I think we need to wake up. We have a much larger problem. I mean, like, oh, obesity is such a problem. This, but no, 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 no. That's sick fat and the shrunken brains. Yeah, yeah, that's a real problem. Okay. All right, time for me to go. I gotta go teach. So, signing out from VLMD Rounds, I am Dr. Vivian Lowe. I'll see you again next time. Bye.